You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I'm NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us again this week is Ethan Lane. Ethan is a Senior Executive Director of NCBA's Federal Lands and the Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Ethan, thanks for joining us again. Good to see you, Ed. Well, you know, I've been thinking I, we may need to change this podcast from Beltway Beef to Beltway Beasts because the past couple of weeks, last week, you were here talking about the the delisting of the gray wolf, and now we're going to be talking about the wild horse problem out west and what can be done to to alleviate that. Yeah, you know, it, it, it wasn't uh, something that we anticipated uh, going public this quickly, but but here we are uh, uh, with with the release of this of this proposal that we've been working on quietly for the last. Uh, a few months. And uh, yeah, it gives us an opportunity to talk about where we are on this issue. The horse thing has really been a vexing problem for us in the West for for quite a long time now. Horse populations on public lands in the West are at about 100,000 on range today, another 50,000 in off range holding. Uh, Those are BLM managed horses designated wild by the Wild and Free Roaming Horse and Burrow Act uh, of 1971. That act has never been allowed to work properly. And the reason for that is a congressional rider that's in place that prevents the sale of those horses under BLM management and boroughs to anyone with intent to commercially process or sell to someone with intent to commercially process. So people confuse it a lot with the with the the slaughter rider that prevents USDA inspection of horse slaughter facilities. They're actually separate but connected issues. Uh, the rider that we're dealing with specifically here is that sale without limitation rider. Because Congress imposed that and they put it in the base appropriations bill every year, Republicans and Democrats, uh, it's preventing the BLM from doing any real management. And what we've seen year over year, Republican Congress or Democratic Congress, is a total lack of political courage on Capitol Hill to remove that rider or, or do anything else to empower the BLM to manage these horses they've been charged with managing. And the result has been catastrophic rangeland damage. The result has been uh populations that are exploding uh, on rangelands that simply can't support them. Right. And that's something that, you know, a lot of us who grew up in the eastern half of the U.S. are just not familiar with. You know, we think wild horses and you think of beautiful cinematography and beautiful movie score, cinematic score, and the majestic steeds out there, as one person put it this week. Um, Now, this proposal was rolled out on Monday of this week, and it is a little bit unusual uh, in Washington these days to have groups or politicians on different sides of the aisle or different ends of the political spectrum, the ideological spectrum, um, actually come together and endorse one thing. But that's what happened this week. We had uh, NCBA and PLC on one side and and, uh, some of the some of the groups that generally, you know, we don't agree with on things. What what exactly was rolled out and who are some of the players on the other side who have who have actually endorsed this? Well, yeah, I, I think we have to be honest and, and blunt about about exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, the groups that we've been working with on this proposal do not agree with our way of life. They would like to see us put out of business. Uh, by and large, these are people who don't agree with animal agriculture in general. We're talking about the Humane Society of the United States. We're talking about uh, ASPCA. Uh, we're talking about Return to Freedom, which is a more horse-specific group. Um, this is a conversation that was begun out in the states. Uh, these groups and others, uh, as some, some county commissioners in Nevada and Utah, uh, the governor of Utah's office, um, Congressman Chris Stewart, uh, who is an appropriator, uh, sort of started having this roundtable-style t- conversation. 
And as they progressed towards sort of the makings of a deal, they realized they needed to start rolling in some of the national groups, uh, the coalition that I chair, the National Horse and Borough Rangeland Management Coalition, um, as well as the American Farm Bureau Federation and others, um, if they were going to have any hope of having something that was really broadly endorsed by stakeholders. So that's when we entered the conversation and, and we started really sort of getting serious about whether or not uh, the the framework they'd put together uh, could could be something we could get behind. Uh, we got to a point finally in that negotiation where we did feel like this is a product that will move the ball forward. Our policy positions are clear on this. Get the hop, the population of horses down on the range to a manageable and sustainable level. Uh, it is not that now. And anything that moves the ball down the field in that in that particular uh, uh, arena is 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 worth us pursuing. And especially since legislatively we've seen absolutely no action on this front. I mean, despite our best efforts, despite multiple conversations, years of work, and and a demonstrable case for the need to manage, uh, Congress is just vapor locked on this. So this really represents a, a, a way forward and, and in some ways, uh, uh, you know, a way past this, this rider that everyone seems to be stuck on. The rider doesn't go anywhere, unfortunately, but this does make some recommendations from from these different groups to, to suggest for BLM and Congress how they might get these populations down in spite of that rider. And that focuses on uh, gathers, increasing gathers up to 20,000 a year. Last year, the BLM gathered about 11,000 horses and change, which was a big number for them. So this would be a substantial increase over a milestone year last year. Uh, it also focuses on dramatically increased use of fertility control methods. Right now, PZP is kind of the, the, the standard, and, and that has been, by and large, a, a failure. We're talking about a success rate down around 18%. Um, a lot of that is applied via darts, which, I mean, I you know, as somebody who grew up in the horse business, uh, I just... I just get a kick out of because that's just the that, that, that's just the dumbest idea I can imagine for wild horses on large open areas. Um, there are some controlled circumstances where they have had some success with that with very docile herds uh, close to town, uh, confined areas, but that is really limited. So they, they need more tools in the toolbox. Some of those tools are coming online now. Um, this proposal also brings in the use of permanent surgical uh, fertility and sterilization control methods. So uh, a, a much more robust fertility control effort and, and focusing on any horse you gather receiving some type of treatment. And then finally, looking at an expanded uh, uh, use of off-range pastures to, to move some of these horses out so that we're not in this cycle now where if we do get to gather, most of them go back out onto the range that's already overpopulated. Uh, so, you know, looked at it as a whole, it, it, it doesn't really create any new authority so much as it provides some specific direction along with endorsement by these groups across the spectrum that, hey, we're all okay with this course of action that keeps you in good shape with this rider we can't get rid of, but also maybe make some progress towards getting these populations down. Okay, so, um, you know, while there are some groups, uh, animal, animal rights groups, um, that have endorsed this. Uh, one of the basic tenets of politics is you can't please all of the people all of the time. So not everybody has has endorsed this. What have what have some of the some some of the groups on the on the further left um, had to say about this this week? You know, it's it's been uh, it's been interesting to watch this uh, uh, come out. 
you know, I, I don't think the, the, the reaction from our community has been uh, has been a bad one. I think by and large, people who are impacted by this problem have, have responded to this the same way I would as someone who was sitting at the table. It's, it's definitely not enough, but it's better than what we have now and it's progress. That's a healthy response from people whose businesses are on the line, right? Something's better than nothing. This is what compromise looks like. Let's try to get something done. Uh, the, the, the far fringe of the, uh, of the animal uh, uh, protection community, the animal rights community, however you want to describe them, I think they, they refer to themselves now as humane activists, um, you know, it has been dramatically different. Their, their fringe is, is truly, uh, uh, truly kind of off the reservation on this. They, they, they don't have a, a rational view of what's been done here. They're, they're convinced this is part of a dark plot. Um, obviously, you know, the, the shadowy uh, lobbying interests for the cattle for the cattle industry have have steered their their champions from HSUS and ASPCA uh, towards this nefarious uh, proposal. Uh, in, in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. We all left a lot on the table here. This is a compromise in the truest sense of the word. Um, you know, there are things about this that we don't like. There are things about it that the activists don't like. But we all view this as an opportunity to maybe get these populations down. Um, the, you know, the reaction we've seen from from their fringe though uh some of the people that are sending tweets to me uh, uh in the last week posting my picture tanner uh poor tanner's had his picture blasted all over the internet uh one guy uh, uh, in his twitter bio uh, said that anyone who supports animal agriculture should have to watch their children be chopped up and consumed in front of them so i mean these aren't well people these are these are you know i, I don't want to use derogatory terms but these are these are unhinged people um and it and it does illustrate the point that we all you know, have to have to deal with these different communities that don't have good information, that do make decisions based on emotion, and and don't look at these issues rationally. Now, I'm hopeful that that that, that our our negotiating partners in this in this effort uh, will be able to contain that and 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 prevail. You know, upon upon their their instincts here to to understand that that you know this is in fact a good faith effort across the board to try to get something done. Um, I, I think they will be able to get that message across. And I, and I you know, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that despite our massive and serious and, and, and legitimate differences of opinion, uh, we've been able to find a little snippet of common ground here to move to move forward on this particular issue. Um, so, you know, all we can do, I mean, it's, it's certainly not helpful for us to, to involve ourselves in, in the fights that are going to that are going to roll out on their side of the aisle. Um, uh, you know, other than to keep making the point that this is, in fact, a, a what compromise looks like, and we look forward to trying to see it through to its conclusion. Uh, and and what is that conclusion? Where do we go from here? Is this proposal um, going to be put into legislative language, introduced as standalone legislation, included in an appropriations bill or something? How what's the legislative outlook on Capitol Hill? And is there anything that the that the administration can do uh, from the executive branch? Well, I think all of those are in play right now, uh, with or without this proposal. Uh, Congress asked for a report from from BLM last year. Well, originally in 2017, uh, BLM responded uh, when Secretary Zinke was still there with a four-option plan. Congress didn't like that plan. They didn't even really analyze it. So they came back in last year's appropriations bill and, and basically in report language said, we didn't like your last one. Send us another one. This time, don't give us options. Just give us a plan. So there's an opportunity there. Uh, obviously, every year is another opportunity to uh, to make changes in the appropriations process, since that's really where this issue plays out year over year. 
Um, that's happening right now, as we all know, on a variety of fronts. We're engaging in, in conversations on our priorities for the industry. Uh, this will be one of those. Uh, to, to implement something like that, this means, means funding in excess, uh, uh, far in excess of what we've seen in the past as far as funding for this program. Um, and, and, you know, that's what it's going to take to, to get enough of these horses gathered to get these populations down to a, to a sustainable level. Um, so we'll be having those conversations up on the Hill. The president didn't ask for more money in his budget, which makes it hard for BLM to come out now and say, oh, just kidding, we, we actually do need substantially more resources than we asked for. But I mean, as we all know, uh, you know Congress uh, uh, is great at ignoring the, the president's budget, regardless of who the president is, and, and kind of trying to appropriate funds as they see fit. Um, so we will be having those conversations. We'll be making that point, as will, uh, I think, some of these folks on the other side of the aisle on this issue. Uh, and, and hopefully what we'll see from Congress is, is them seeing this as a lifeline to bail them out of the mess they've created for themselves. And I don't, I don't like to be that uh, harsh about it, but that really is where we find ourselves. You know, we're, we're trying to, to help them get out of this mess because right now they're, they're vapor locked. So uh, we'll be making that point. We'll be continuing to have Hill visits. We'll be continuing to talk to the agencies um, and, and, and pointing out that this is the most bipartisan cooperation some of us have ever seen on this issue. So let's not waste it. Let's capitalize on it and see if we can get something done and get these populations down to a manageable level. Absolutely. Great work on this and uh, good luck going forward and keeping the coalition together. Thanks, Ed. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online and get your Gray Wolf comments submitted at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.